Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, best-selling author and senior director of valuation services at CFGI. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about my background, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. In my world, business value and business performance is measured by the numbers, but savvy leaders understand that there's usually more to the story than that. So welcome to Behind the Numbers. This is the program where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. And today we're going to be talking about executive recruiting in the connected workplace with my guest, John Hodge, who's the managing partner of Miramar Global Executive Search. John, welcome so much to Behind the Numbers. Thanks for having me, Dave. Uh, it's a pleasure. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about Miramar. Okay. Miramar Global Executive Search, we're a boutique executive search firm. We have offices in Philadelphia and London. This year we're opening up an office in Asia, in Singapore. Very excited about that with future growth in the U.S. Uh, targeting in Chicago. We are we do retained executive search. The, our clients are typically in science, engineering, automation, and technology. They, are, they range from Fortune 100 to private equity and venture capital-backed firms. Uh, we're focused on the C-suite and the reports to the C-suite generally, though uh, we, we do other types of search too for our customers depending on the need. Okay, awesome, thank you. So we hear a lot today, especially about the war for talent. Yeah. Um, are there cyclical periods where there are wars for talent and, and where are we right now? So unemployment being 3.6, 3.7%, that filters uh, up through an organization, quite frankly, and uh, the, the war for talent is, is, is very aggressive right now. So highly competitive and companies are doing a variety of different things to attract great talent. So I think in terms of that cycle, we're certainly at a, a very highly competitive, candidate-driven period of time. Interesting. So um, if you're a candidate now, you've got more options than maybe you've had in the past? For sure, de depending on some of the different functional areas. But most candidates, when they determine if they're strong, solid, an executive level that we focus on, they're going to have multiple opportunities. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about how companies go about finding these executives. Um, there are a lot of organizations that help folks in transition, uh, and obviously those are the readily available marketplace. But then, of course, it's the idea that if you have a job, you're much more attractive. What are, what are companies more inclined to, to do in terms of filling those key roles? Well, typically our customers are coming us to us and they're retaining us to really find them very specific levels of talent. And generally, they're looking for the passive candidate, the person who has a successful track record of growing a company, building a team in a particular marketplace. So what we do in terms of our customer base and our process, we're, we're mapping a market. Personally, I believe and our firm believes that every search that we do is, is new research. So we go into marketplaces, that primary market where the competitive landscape is, is primary, and we really re, we do research into determining who the key talented players are. But oftentimes our customers are looking for different things. They're looking for diverse talent. They're looking for alternative skill sets. So we'll then map a secondary market and a tertiary market, and then we transparently 
provide that to our customers through the search process, which is quite effective for us. Yeah, interesting. Because I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about your process, but maybe in, in the context of what are companies looking for? It was interesting that you mentioned that they're looking for an adjacent skill sets, so to speak, the transferable yeah. skills. Talk a little bit about that. A lot of what's happening today in, in the marketplaces that we face are uh, Industry 4.0, digital transformation, automation, so finding talent that have, and leaders that have taken their companies through digital transformation, applying artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics into the supply chain, into the manufacturing process, into the distribution process, into the financial organization, are really some key attributes that connected enterprise and finding the next generation of leader who can lead an organization into the fourth generation of Industry 4.0 and then into Industry 5.0. Mm -hmm. Are there a set of, we'll call them standard skills that are kind of the table stakes that every executive has to possess in a search situation? Um, it's very subjective. You know, e each of our customers will have very specific needs. Uh, I think collaboration, you know, leadership, communication, uh, proven track record of success, really understanding you know, where these these uh, particular leaders want to take their organizations are are somewhat standard, but there really is I don't think there's any particular standardization. I think it really depends on where the company is in their growth mm -hmm. trajectory, whether they're private equity back. There's different sets of criteria. If they're publicly traded, there's a different. Uh, set of criteria if they're a venture-backed startup uh, altogether a whole different set of criteria that they're really looking for in the individual yeah is there any particular nuance in private equity i know a lot of folks who uh, watch this program and listen to this program are in the private equity space yeah well the the asset class in my uh, estimation of private equity has changed over the last 10 or 15 years and it's they've invested more in smaller emerging growth type of opportunities where historically, in my, in my perspective, they had not. So I think um, having someone that, that understands the metrics, uh, that understands growth, that understands you know, driving valuation uh, into a business, profitability, but also that, that growth perspective, uh, what's next, I think lends itself to a higher valuation for companies. And I think obviously if I'm a private equity investor investing in, in a company, uh, I want it to be a technology or an industry that has growth. And, and clearly the leadership team you know, are one of, if not the most important variable for that investment. Yeah. So, John, if the folks who are watching and listening would like to learn more about you and how they can contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Miramar.global, www.miramar.global is the best way to uh, get more information about our firm. Uh, certainly, I can be reached directly at, at our phone number, which you can find on the website. That's 215-560-8300. Great. Thanks for that. I want to get your perspective a little bit more on private equity, if we can. Um, like I said, there's a lot of folks in the PE space who are, are avid watchers and listeners of this program. And it, it feels to me as if private equity has evolved over the last several years. What I mean by that is longer periods of holding for their investments. It used to be back in the day where I'd meet CFOs who were in a constant churn situation going from one PE gig to another every two or three years, but it feels like the market's shifting a little bit. Is, is that 
accurate? I, I would agree with you. I, I think that what I have seen is that our, our private equity fund clients uh, are, are more interested in acquiring companies entirely and taking significant majority share while in the past they had been multiple investors taking different pieces of a business as a percentage of ownership. So I think that uh, companies are definitely holding on a little longer. They have the capacity to do that. They want to get the right valuation. Uh, they want to make sure that the, the ROI is there. And they're definitely more inclined to be willing to hold on to those companies. Yeah. So since you mentioned ROI, and the show is called Behind the Numbers, but oftentimes we'll dig into the numbers just to add some validity to some of these other softer topics. But what's been your experience, uh, if you could share, in terms of the ROI of the right fit candidate as opposed to the consequences of a wrong fit candidate at a leadership level? Great question. I, I think that companies that, that hire and making the right hire and being critical of, of that senior level hire, whether it's the CEO, the CFO, the chief technology officer, um, the vice president of digital transformation, whatever that real mission critical hire is, is, is really important. The making the wrong hire uh, could, ha could be catastrophic. It, it could lead you into a cycle where there's no exit from a PE perspective specifically for maybe an additional three years. You, you run a cycle, you run a risk of making the wrong hire. That's why firms use retained search, right? The vetting process, the referencing process, the, the experience with hiring this type of individual um, and getting somebody who has a great track record. Yeah, and we talk about the concept of fit in an organization, and it's a lot of things besides the, the technical skills and the table stakes things, but uh, we talked before uh, going on the air about the idea of corporate culture and, and mm -hmm. what a, a leader can do to influence that, and you use the word catastrophic. If you don't have the right tone at the top, it can, in fact, be catastrophic. Yeah. I've, I have customers that have hired uh, an executive, and the culture uh, was very bottom line driven, uh, very matter of fact, not very collaborative, uh, and, and, a, and a driven uh, on a very singular concept. And that doesn't work today. Yeah. And today's cultural considerations are ever present and vital. Uh, diversity, inclusion, collaboration, performance management, right? Not your tip, today's performance management and all the studies that you do uh, today talk about how uh, inclus inclusivity, agility are really, really key. Yeah. Are, are companies smart to this uptake at this point or are you finding there's a slow evolution among uh, the folks that you work with? Where, where are they on this learning curve and, and adapting? Well, I, th I think that, I think the the numbers speak for themselves. I think when, as technology has advanced over the last 10 years, it's accelerated how our lives have changed because of connectivity and in, in all aspects of the, at the enterprise level, I think that the investment in emerging technologies has led companies to really reevaluate what culture really needs to look like. Hiring a younger generation of up and comers really lends itself to a different culture than 20 years ago. You know, when I first started in my career, 
you know, you know, obviously there were there were there were different criteria and, and different metrics, but the culture is vital today. Yeah, I think we only have probably about another minute or two in, in this first segment, but I just want to get your take real quick on what do the executives look for. We've covered what the companies are looking for generally in, in terms of finding the right candidates, but in this seller's market, so to speak, for talent, what are the candidates looking for as they're looking at organizational fit? What matters to them? Uh, candidates generally are going to look at the investor group uh, in a PE-backed company or a venture firm. Like, What's their track record? What's their commitment uh, to seeing through the investment that's necessary? Um, whether it's a short-term cliff and exit, whether it's a longer-term exit that the investor group is looking for, uh, the marketplace that, that they're playing in, and uh, the, you know they're also looking at the existing team. You know they're looking they're going to look at uh, what their capacity will be to really influence change and have that leadership uh, and that influence are probably the key variables. Great. On that note, don't go anywhere. We've got to take a quick commercial break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest. Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human, we would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. The ones dealt a bad hand who responded with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one. Say we've got grit and we'll take it as a compliment because it's our uncommon drive, our spark within that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made. And when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. Add us on social media to watch. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about executive recruiting in the connected workplace with my guest, John Hodge, who's the managing partner at Miramar Global. Uh, John, 
I wanted to ask you about a conversation or interview I know that you had with the Wall Street Journal. I understand that they recently uh, reached out to you and, and yep. you had an interview with the Journal. Talk a little bit about that. What were the topics that got covered? So I was interviewed by uh, Lauren Weber, uh, and she, her articles and her model is based on human capital and, and what are trends. And what was interesting for her was to really talk to me about what that connected enterprise next generation CEO looked like. We talked about diversity and diversity at a, at a senior level. And we talked about you know, what really is digital transformation and what is my experience with that. And that yeah. that's really was the thrust of our conversation. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to share with our audience the concept of digital transformation, what that really means in this concept of a connected enterprise? So as, as, a, as a firm, we focus on science and tech and automation and engineering. And our customers generally will fall into those categories, not exclusively, but that's really kind of who we are. So digital transformation over the last 10 years, and particularly in the last five years, has been something that we've done a significant amount of work in, both in the US and in Europe and in Asia. And that, that that digital, phys physical, digital, physical loop uh, is something that is where companies are really focusing on. So digital transformation is really applying software and artificial intelligence and machine learning into the supply chain, into the manufacturing process to actually create significant amount of data that's actionable, right? So that, that the physical to digital loop component of the loop is really easy for companies and that's where most companies are investing in but when you then you need to make the digital to digital and then digital to physical loop which really basically means that we're actually identifying the data we're creating data we're identifying the data and then we're making the data actionable what are we actually doing with the data so when companies really start investing in in that that digital to physical loop then they're using the data to you know, their, their procurement processes, their distribution process. Uh, they're making decisions on when to buy, when to invest, when to build, when to hire. Um, that, that's the, the full life cycle yeah. of digital transformation at a very high level. Yeah, and in this world that we live in now where there's a key reliance on data, and don't get me wrong, data is super important, but are there ever times where it's maybe too much reliance on data in your experience? Well, I mean, I, th I think that's, that, that can happen. I think that if um, inaction because of data uh, becomes uh, a reality, then, uh, then that, that could be troublesome, right? I think in the, way the, in the nature of the business that we work in, uh, speed tends to still be a premium and something really being decisive and making decisions that are, that are meaningful uh, in a decisive, uh, expeditious way are still really important characteristics in, in leadership. Uh, so I guess there can be points where the data and or the amounts of data could lend itself to multiple different scenarios uh, that could lead you to having a quandary about certain decisions. Yeah. So what does the, the CEO of the future look like as we're into this digital world and uh, connected enterprise scenario you just described? I think, it, I think it's still someone who's brave and someone who's innovative 
and someone who's willing uh, to take risk, but the, having data that makes that risk more calculated, somebody that takes risk but has a measure of confidence in the decisions that they're making, someone that is, is looking at the organization and the people as their, their, their biggest asset, um, it, really, that's the I think some of the differences in the the next generation of of CEO and leader. I mean, there's the bold decisions that really need to be made in the future about investing in technology. I have customers that you know are in financial services and they're in, entering into a fintech marketplace and and where they're in insurance space and they're entering into insurance tech and really want to digitize what they're doing and digitize their customer experience, but they haven't ever done that. They haven't made the investment. They've been thinking about it for 10 years, but haven't done it. So the next generation of a leader that comes into that organization really needs to be bold and take, take the, that next step of investment. Mm -hmm. So, and it's, it's, it's risky. Yeah, no question from so many different perspectives. And one that comes to mind immediately for me is in this quarter by quarter performance benchmark environment that a lot of leaders are, are stuck living with. Um, making bold decisions and making investments for the long term uh, requires a lot of courage, to your point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I imagine then when your clients are, are, are working with potential candidates, there, there has to be a meeting of the minds about having a, an appropriate long-term view? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know, so what's happening also in the marketplace, and you talk about that CEO of the future, I think a significant uh, amount of investment has been made in diversity and really driving diversity. Part of my conversation with Lauren was uh, women in, diverse, in leadership positions and the investment that we're seeing uh, in that capacity, and it's refreshing. Yeah, so diversity is a, a hot-button topic right now as well, and I want to explore that in just a second, but very, very quickly, how can our audience contact you if they want to learn more or, or how they can work with you? Best way to uh, contact me, you can contact me on LinkedIn, uh, or Twitter, but via our website at www.miramar.global. Yeah, because we only have a few minutes to go in the program, but I definitely want to continue the conversation here about diversity a little bit. And what your experience has been on, we'll call it the return on diversity, if you will. How's that impacted an organization in terms of its ability to innovate, attract and retain talent and other KPIs? Well, I think the studies will show that m m companies that have a, a more diverse workforce and a, and a more diverse leadership team are, are much more profitable. I think attractiveness and hiring next generation of talent uh, creates an environment where it's in inclusive and it's agile and you're bringing multiple different perspectives to the table, uh, not just one singular uh, older school type of uh, thought process. And our, our, com our, our customers are, are really investing there. Okay, so when you're working with a firm and they're looking to fill a specific role, are, are they getting into diversity matters in terms of what their desired fit might look like? Or how does that work? For, from for sure, side? for sure. It, it's, it's present in those discussions. Uh, our customers have, have asked us, some of the, the science and engineering and automation marketplace uh, don't have a depth of diversity in, in their talent pools. Uh, but it's growing, right? Investing in STEM, investing in diversity, and, and women in leadership is an area where we've invested in with Tech Girls, is our, 
one of our nonprofits mm -hmm. that we're investing in. But mapping that direct market, the secondary markets, and the tertiary marketplaces that have the talent that's innovative in secondary and tertiary markets has been a real advantage for us and our customers are taking advantage of that. So when you refer to the secondary and tertiary markets, can you just be a little more specific? Sure. What does that mean? So adjacent marketplace, a customer that's in the automotive sector. And the automotive sector is, has a, a finite number of customers in it, but then there's the supplier groups. There's, there's the industrial automation manufacturers. There's other technology that supports the automotive industry that, that and that technology group might support other industries other than automotive. So mapping the adjacent markets, the supplier groups, the customer groups for our, for our clients um, is what I'm referring to. And doing that research, every search, every new search that we do uh, will we'll include all of that research for our customers. And we provide it to them transparently. Gotcha. So when a client company is looking for an external hire, and we'll call it in the CEO role, is it imperative that the candidate have been a CEO before or are companies open to making an investment in somebody who's coming in from maybe a different role and, and putting them into that leadership spot? Well, that, that's a great question. I think that's subjective to the customer. I think that's akin to hiring a coach who's been there exactly. and done that and, or hiring that coordinator. Uh, that really wants to step up. A lot of our customers want that up-and-comer. Uh, they also hire COOs and presidents and, and groom them to become CEOs. Uh, and a number of our customers really want that CEO experience. I would say, frankly, more times than not, they're going to want somebody who had, had been in that role at that level, at that CEO level, uh, but they, they also hire their bench. They hire and they do succession planning. So we participate in that succession plan to help them really hire the bench that they need uh, and bring in that, that next generation of talent. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, you do work with privately held businesses, whether they're PE-backed or otherwise. And I know family-held businesses have their own particular nuances. And in the 60 seconds that we have left in the program, um, what's been your experience in, in placing a candidate inside a family-run business where maybe this candidate doesn't have the same last name? Well, we don't do a ton of that. Okay. Um, the, the stuff that we would do is venture-backed, and uh, there could be one large family office that's investing in a company. And I, and I think uh, it's a different skill set, uh, somebody that's nimble, uh, somebody that's um, aggressive, somebody that knows how to operate with very, very small budgets and limited resources and has the mentality, owner mentality. So um, if they have an owner mentality, like they own, they own part of the business or they feel like they own part of the business and they're that uh, passionate about the mission of the company, then I think that they can be successful. And I think any owner and family owner would want that. Yep, good stuff. Unfortunately, on that note, we've got to wrap. So John, thank you so much for being our guest today on Behind the Numbers. Thanks, uh, Today Dave. we've been talking about Executive Recruiting in the Connected Workplace with John Hodge, who's the managing partner at Miramar Global. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers.